0: Before launching this next season of Upbringing, we'd like to share a handful of favorite podcast episodes we've been interviewed on recently. For the next few weeks, tune in as we connect with inspiring parenting communities about our radical mission to practice powers beyond control when it comes to daily discipline. If you're new to Upbringing, these interviews could help you get to know us better. And if you already are part of the community, the following episodes can help validate the amazing work you're doing. Yeah, and it hasn't been just a joy to explore these topics as much as a necessity. Uh, As privileged white women, we see it as our responsibility to call in others to rise up and dismantle the conventional discipline practices within the home that unwittingly perpetuate paradigms of oppression outside of it. We hope that these conversations can inspire you to stay kind and curious with yourself, as well as to begin some brave conversations within your own communities around these topics. Though many of us may feel really powerless about the world right now, we have an incredible opportunity to raise a different generation simply by the way we treat our kids bodies feelings and voices we are all in this together and we're all growing up together so thank you for being here the balanced parent is a top rated podcast hosted by dr laura froyan that offers practical tools and mindset shifts to help parents get clear on the goals and values that'll help them show up with open minded authenticity and balance we love chatting with laura about the value of kids daily resistance and how we can examine and reapproach our power as parents to best support it we also discuss the power of connection especially in the hardest moments with our kids we explore the position we hold as the authority figure at home and how we can show up more mindfully and democratically with our kids to teach them how power can be used responsibly we also unpack and walk through some specific questions listeners sent in A parent struggle to accept her kids' current skills, as well as a child whose meltdowns are really challenging for their parent to support. We hope you enjoy our conversation on The Balanced Parent as much as we did. Head on over to laurafroyan.com to learn more and check out our show notes to get more details on our conversation. Here we go.
1: Join me in conversations that will help you get clear on your goals and values and start showing up in your parenting, your relationships, your life with open hearted authenticity and balance. Let's go. Hello, everybody. We are back with another episode of the Balanced Parent Podcast. And this week I have a really, a guest that I'm so excited to have. So I have Hannah and Kelty of the Upbringing Podcast. They are amazing and I'm going to let them introduce themselves to you. So why don't you guys tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do?
0: Yeah, we're so happy to be here, first off, Lauren. Mm -hmm. We're such fans of yours, so thank you for having us today. We like to introduce ourselves usually as twins, speakers, co-hosts of our Upbringing podcast. We are parenting. We like to say we're parenting for sanity and social change. That's our kind of movement that we're talking about a lot and bringing a community um, into. What else, Kel? We're we're certified coaches in simplicity parenting, positive discipline. We're trained in the respectful parenting approach, Rye. And I'd say our our general goal is to empower parents to grow up alongside their kids for that sanity and social change, and specifically around elevating their discipline practices. Uh, We like to say one conversation at a time. This is not an overnight type situation, (laughs) hence the growing up alongside our kids.
1: I love that.
0: Tell me what it means to parent for social change. Yeah. Well, I think that as early parents, we were primarily parenting for sanity. So we're trying to get through the day. You know, we've all had young babies and we know how hard that those first you know couple of years are. And then we started realizing, wow, I mean, so much of what we're doing, we've got this under control. Let's focus on our child now and really optimizing their development. So, so much of our focus was on growing an amazing human that could go out and, and be happy and be successful. And then as we started growing up alongside our kids, so to speak, we started realizing that we had a greater goal and that there was kind of more of a purpose to this parenting, that it wasn't just about ourselves and our own sanity. It wasn't just about our child and their ultimate development, but it was about a greater collective opportunity that we had to be raising a generation of kids that could could change the direction of our world, that could Mm -hmm. move into the world and not just know who they were and what they needed and wanted, but could actually have the skills and the awareness to be able to understand and seek to support other people and their needs. And so I think that it was also came up when we were realizing that, God, we feel so helpless right now. What can we be doing? There's so much going on. We're all stuck in our homes. So much is happening. We really wanted to align kind of our, our political and progressive values with our daily parenting practices and also to give us that meaning of what we're doing and aligning our discipline and working with our kids has a kind of a greater significance. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think that we started recognizing that opportunity and all of the hard things, but also alongside that, the responsibility. So that's where the social change element Came in, and all of that is really tethered to like you kind of said, hand alignment. And as we started thinking, let's be parenting for something a little bit bigger than just you know our day-to-day success and and our kids, you know, fulfillment and happiness. But we were just also thinking, gosh, how do, can we actually be aligned? These values we have for the, these kids who are going to grow up a certain way and be moving through the world in a certain way. How do we get there? Mm-hmm. You know, and checking in on all these resources like yours like amazing books we were reading Mm -hmm. trainings we were taking and realizing that a lot of our approach wasn't actually aligned with the way, you know, our cultural conditioning and conventional wisdom that told us certain things about discipline and certain things about kids' behavior and certain things about kids' growth. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I think it it really put us in mind to be checking that, that power and privilege we have as parents and be working with it.
1: Yeah. I think so much of the way we interact with kids mimics the way that control and obedience is used in other systems that are, we as a, collective human species are embedded in. So I love that you're thinking about this and that you are being that intentional with this. I agree with you so much that we, you know, in the environmental space, you know, like the minimalism and kind of you're looking at your footprint. One of the things that we hear a lot is that you can, one of the best ways you can impact the environment is by having fewer kids. And I think that if we are looking at how impactful then the life of a child can be then as parents i think one of my most impactful ways to create social change is through the little humans that i raise right and that we we as a group of parents are wanting to raise a generation of children that are kind um, and compassionate and critical thinkers and don't accept the status quo push for change push for the rights of others who have less power. Like those are beautiful things and they don't just magically do that when they're 18, right? They don't just like (laughs) magically like go to college and learn to do that. You know, they have to learn to do that throughout their growing up experience, right? Right. I mean, I think that's the
0: unconscious hypocrisy that we so easily find ourselves in. Is that is realizing? Well, I want my child to advocate for themselves and others. I want them to stand up to the man. I want them to use their power. Rebel and a rule breaker. I want them to use their power sensitively. (laughs) Right, but not in their formative years in my house. Not to me. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not to me. Yeah, no, but I think that's that feeling of as women, oftentimes we are the underdog in workplaces and certain institutions, and we're fighting for more power, for more privilege, for more control from other higher levels of authority. You know, so many institutions have that hierarchy. And then we come home, and I think it's hard for us to remember that we are the authority. We have that unchecked power and privilege in our home. We are ultimately the man in the parent child relationship. And wow, that when we realized that, it was such a huge turnaround for for us to think, oh my gosh, then, you know, as feminist, you know, ladies, we think of resistance as beautiful and awesome and necessary, right. For social change. But then here we are in the parenting context at home. And what have we all been programmed to think about our kids resistance, that it's unnecessary, worrisome, concerning, obnoxious. It means something negative about them or about us, Mm -hmm. you know, talk about alignment. It's like, we have these beliefs outside the home and then in the home. Wow. Our discipline is the complete opposite based on those beliefs.
1: Okay. And so then how do we go about rectifying that hypocrisy or that misalignment in values? I mean, that's
0: the million dollar question. I think that folks in our community get, you know, buy in and they're like, yes, absolutely. Let's do this. I want to align my values as a person with my practices as a parent. I don't want to be parenting, through white patriarchy or through an unconscious hypocrisy. I want to gain that awareness. Oh my gosh, but how do I even do it? What does that look like? And Kelty and I like to say, I mean, it's just a conversation. It's one conversation at a time. Every time with our kids, when they struggle, when we struggle, we have an opportunity in those moments, right? To choose to resist our typical control approach that I think is so built in to our upbringings, to our cultural conditioning. We have an acronym for control, which I think it's consequences on my terms now, threats, rewards, mm. overpower, and lectures. And those are just oh. some of the control approaches that come we so easily so to more. us yeah. oh, <laughs> when my our gosh. kids resist us. But you know, moving from that instinctual, Control approach to a conversation, which we could, based in our resist approach. When our kids resist us, we are resisting that greater cultural conditioning that can really undermine their learning. It can undermine our connection
1: and it can undermine that greater goal of social change, right? Yeah. Oh, I love this. And so, uh, one thing that I know that you and I, like the three of us, align on is like the importance of mindset shifting and lens shifting as we move from a control based model or an obedience model and into to one where we get our power in our relationships with our kids from other places and can you speak to that a little bit about like how where you see so if we're not getting our power from control you know or influence from control where do we get our power with our kids where do we get our influence yeah
0: I mean I think it was Carol Gilligan that said she was talking about how in some ways connection is the antidote to control She's a a feminist that we love. And I think that that is the answer. Connection seems very ethereal. It seems very invisible. Connection we always think of as positive, like, oh, connections when we're hugging or connections when we're smiling. But connection can also be when we're yelling something to the other person and actually just understanding one another, our needs, their needs. And I think that that's, that's the opportunity is control. It just goes one way. It goes from one person to another. And that's what we ultimately are teaching our kids. All the control measures We use it doesn't matter what our intention is behind that those kind of measures. That's what we're teaching our kids is how to be controlled or how to control another person. So when we switch from that model of control to the connect model, basically, it looks totally different. And some of us as adults have never even practiced some of these skills. And that's why we talk about growing up together is saying, how can I connect with this person instead? How can I have a conversation? How can I figure out that tricky balance of holding a limit or a boundary that I have as the response? Responsible parent, but doing it in a way that supports their growth, that helps them feel secure, that builds that really strong inner wisdom and authority that we talk about a lot that spirit, that self, that we want to be encouraging,
1: right? And staying sane in the process. It's really tricky. Mm It is. It's so tricky. And I think it gets trickier as kids get older, too. So sometimes things are quite simple when they're so little. And as they awaken and become more fully themselves, their resistance changes and gets more. And so... I wanted to ask a question about that from a listener, if I can, if that's okay. So um, this is a question that's coming from my balanced parenting community. And she's asking, why does it get harder as they get older? I think it's me. I expect more listening, but I know it's still appropriate for a five or six year old to not listen sometimes, but it tends to trigger me more as they get older. Why is that? Yeah.
0: I think it's so natural. We hear that from a lot of folks we work with and have experienced it ourselves that both the point where our kid's kind of emerge from baby dumb into toddlerhood (laughs) and just the shock and dissonance that, that we experience, being like, where did my baby go? Who is this person? If you see that spark in parents' eyes being like, okay, I'm kind of amused. This is kind of interesting. They're really, you know, getting, coming into their own and getting independent, but then it's like, but maybe a little bit too much. This is actually kind of totally terrifying. (laughs) It can be really challenging that way. And then kind of on the other side of that to a certain point, having some sort of assumption that they should know they should be able to xyz by now or shouldn't a 6-year-old do this or shouldn't you know shouldn't an 8-year-old never do this and we we have those expectations that one when our kids are little kids they'll always be like that that's just them and they won't resist me they're not going to be like that you know and then we also have these expectations that we sort of have this rule book in our brains for what milestones our kids should be meeting and when, which is, I think, probably more based on our what we would like to be seeing
1: than reality. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Or what we see happening with friends or out in oh, public. Yeah. I think it's so important for parents to remember that what they see their friends' kids doing out in public or when their friends come over to visit at your house is not the same thing as what happens when they're at home in the safety of their own home when no one else is watching. Those things are different, you know?
0: And that's what's so brave about everyone listening to podcasts like yours and others out there is that they're they're being able to share and to listen to people sharing these similar you know ad- adventures and tales of woe and what is real out there instead of just this very polished Instagram presence where nobody tantrums you know maybe there's a little mess in the house but that's okay mm-hmm. and i think it's been liberating for us to be able to share what it's like having four sensitive spirited kids who basically drove us to be like doing this work. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's amazing how some kids will call us in to do that, isn't
0: it? Absolutely. I think so much of this too, and so much of our passionate upbringing is really normalizing our kids' resistance Mm -hmm. and helping parents to remember that. Our kids' resistance is something beautiful and necessary and critical. And that I think that it's, again, something invisible though, you know, with our babies when they're so young, we have ultimate power and authority. We control so much, right? And then as time goes on and they start taking on these, you know, more power, basically more privileges, more responsibilities, I think that's where it starts getting messy. And I think that this person who wrote into you might be experiencing that where, where she's like, oh man, like, I don't know when to let go to this child and give them some of the power power that they're asking for by, through their resistance. And I, what's that going to do? Am I going to lose all of my power? Does that mean I'm being permissive? Does that mean we're going to go into total chaos? How do we basically renegotiate power in a little bit more of a humane and democratic
1: way without, you know, total insanity happening, you know? Yeah. And so then, I, I mean, I think that that is also like a golden question. How do we do that? Like, especially in, you know, our, we think that we have, like, there's times when our kids have to listen to us like if they're running out into the street or we need to be able to keep them safe you know they have to you know we have to be able to keep them safe but we were talking before we got started recording about how we apply that in situations where it doesn't necessarily work and so I'd love to have you help us like piece out so like when do we actually need obedience and when do we only really need cooperation and how do we know the difference and what to do in the meantime as we're figuring that out
0: right yeah I think that's a good question the difference between obedience and cooperation. And I think if we can be going through these challenges, whatever they are with our kids and thinking about less the obedient side and more the cooperation side that we're working side by side with our kids, sort of like Hannah had said, in this more egalitarian, democratic situation as opposed to the top-down hierarchical, like, you know, ideal of what we must be and what we must sound like and what we must say as a parent. And the way that we've sort of built awareness around that is by developing what we call our freedoms model. And it's just 10 areas of our kids' lives that we noticed, okay, where is most of the resistance popping up? What is just killing us right now? Okay, toothbrushing, big feelings, mean words other hygiene stuff, refusal to eat certain foods, risky play, all of these areas that we're sort of figuring out how to redistribute power as our kids get older. These realms sort of emerged that showed us, okay, this is theirs. This has been theirs from the beginning, their freedom to know, to speak, to feel, to express, to move, to play, to contribute, to choose all of these things. And basically, how can we get in there in a way to kind of sensitively support as opposed to control. And a lot of that, you know, ask ourselves, why? Okay, where did this ideal come from that my kid has to have this many bites? Or do they really need to have a coat to go out the door right now? Do they have to put it on before we walk out? And, and I just, just kind of- It,
1: it in my hand and- Yeah. What I it. <laughs> yeah,
0: and I think that for a lot of us, beginning that adventure, can be really nerve wracking because you feel like you're sort of asking yourself lots of questions, which can be really insecuring. You know, it can make you feel like, Oh my gosh, am I doubting myself? Am I doubting everything that I know to be true? I need to just go with my gut, go with my instincts. And I think that Mm -hmm. we get, we get more and more comfortable in that sort of like middle gray area. The more that we say, why do I think that, why do I believe that? Is that really necessary? Well, okay. What are, someone asked us recently, um, like it wasn't, what is your deal breaker, but like, what is a non-negotiable, what are your non-negotiables <laughs> yeah. with your kids? And we were like, don't die. I don't know. <laughs> like, knives, fire, knives, fire, yeah. High really, ledges, really sharp, sharp items hurting one another. Yeah, maybe. But it's forced us to yeah. get really both a growing awareness of the freedoms and also kids who really push us to that limit of, is this actually a must? but why explain it more explain it a fourth time because I don't believe that I don't need that I don't want that whatever it is yeah. blessed a little resisting being aren't they beautiful
1: though I mean I love resistance so when my oldest turned I think like three or so I, I mean there was like it was like a light switch like, mm-hmm. like on for her and I hear that all the time from so many parents that it was just like a three and a half like a light switch happened and their kid was completely different. And I think, you know, do you ever hear that from people? Uh, We totally do. Mm -hmm. We can't relate, but we totally hear that. Yeah, absolutely. And what's beautiful, that's what's happening at three and a half is just this beautiful, de- it's this beautiful developmental phase. And as soon as I, like when I was meeting my daughter with all of this resistance and I'm a controlling person by nature, it's how I manage my anxiety. It's kind of the coping skill that I have. So as a parent who's actively working to leave the control and obedience model behind, it's a constant effort for me. Respectful parenting does not come easily to me. It is effortful for me and continues to be effortful. I mean, it gets easier every day as I practice and re-script and heal my old wounds, you know, that make control the answer, but it's, it's effortful. And so like one thing that was really helpful for me was when my daughter was pushing back so much, and had so much resistance and so much counter will is the phrase that is helpful to know. So I mean, but like understanding developmentally, so I went back to like my basics because my PhD is in human development and I used to teach child development um, at the university that I worked at. And going back to like what's literally happening in their brain and from an attachment perspective in those moments, that the resistance is their job. It's what they're supposed to be doing. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful evidence that their brain is lighting up. in new ways, that they are thinking about themselves in new ways, that they are becoming aware of the fact that they don't share our thoughts and worries. That's when they become aware that they can keep secrets from us or lie to us or tell us things Mm -hmm. that, you know, and that what they say, we don't know that we can't read their minds. It's a beautiful time in child Mm -hmm. development. So it's an exciting time. And that lens change, viewing it in that way, like that was everything for me. Even just the pushing back or the no, I'm not going to do it was like, oh, there she is. Right. When you're thinking about
0: it, like our kids are born activists. They are unapologetically like you know, meeting their own needs, they're standing up to power, they're asserting their personal authority to protect their personal freedoms, like all the things that we value in social justice movements, you know, as progressive ladies, like it's just so much about that mind shift. And I think for me, it was really about seeing. oh my gosh, okay, when I see my kids resistance as bad, or, you know, negative, then, oh my gosh, my goal becomes to shut it down. My role becomes policeman, Mm -hmm. you know, enforcer, control person. And then what's the impact of that goal and that role if I believe resistance is bad? The impact is that it's telling my child that their inner wisdom and and authority are not good. It tells them to always look to external forces for validation, for information, for all the things. You know, it separates us. It's not fun for our relationship. You know, it's not fun for us as parents versus when oh my gosh okay let's see if we can believe that their resistance is good okay great then our goal then isn't to shut it down it's it's to nurture it it's to work with it not against it and then that changes our role so much and that changes the impact for the best better too but I think that's a big ask for Mm -hmm. sure it's a huge turnaround yeah we've been so all of us been so conditioned to think like any kind of resistance is negative it could mean something about our kids it's slowing up my productivity it's you know annoying. annoying? How does that look to the neighbors? Oh, my mother-in-law is judging me. Oh, my friend's kids never do that. Right. And it's just, how do we spin our brains around and take that pressure off, you know, collectively to say, what if we just believe the opposite? what if we just leaned in with love and thought something different about our kids resistance? And there's so much research about it. Like, I mean, we're not all total brainiacs like you who've like, studied all of this child development stuff. We should be though. I feel like, you know, there's a responsibility to a degree for all of us to at least be open to learning more about all of this stuff, if not pursue more of it on our own, you know,
1: What's beautiful though is that ultimately what this all comes down to is becoming keen observers and learners of our children, they will tell us. So if they're resisting and pushing back on something, that is a clue to re-examine: Am I asking them to do something they're not able to do? Even if they maybe they could do it yesterday and now they can't, like that's a possibility because kids do well when they can. Am I asking them to do something that they like that is feeling like it's infringing on their personal boundaries? Am I controlling them? Like their resistance invites us to get to know them better and to know like what to ask questions of ourselves and of them, like, What would make this easier? We need to get from point A to point B. And I think like we have to do that via X, Y, Z, but maybe we don't. Maybe she has other ideas for how to get from A to B, or maybe she really thinks that B isn't necessary and we can skip to C. And is that possible? You know, and and that's a relationship that's getting to know your child. Oh, but there's no, you know, exactly right way to do
0: it and way to go about it. And that's what's so scary, like, and kind of, you know, concerning about moving into this idea of being like, what to welcome my child's resistance. This sounds really scary scary, but I think when, and you talk about this a lot on your podcast, which we love, is that we have to keep going for those dreams and thinking about, gosh, what kind of adult do we want to be raising? How do we want our kid to move into the world? Do we always want them to, when they have an inner resistance to, let's say, going to the gym or getting those taxes done or the way someone's treating them at work or something going on, are they going to always look for an incentive or a consequence to motivate them? You know, we don't want them to have to do that. We want them to know how to move through discomfort adaptively. We want them to know how to approach their big feelings and their resistance with non-judgmental curiosity and grace. You know, we want them to be able to innovate and, and problem solve through their struggles rather than move into an immediate shame or blame kind of response. Mm-hmm. And all of that stuff really actually trickles down into the discipline we're using right now when they resist us. And so that's why it doesn't give more pressure, but I think at least to us, it has given more meaning and more power to the practice
1: of moving through this daily with our kids yeah and the need to be more intentional and thoughtful of it you know mm-hmm. that these daily interactions that we have with our children our opportunities, not just to connect and build a lifelong relationship that hopefully continues to strengthen and grow over time, but to teach them the skills that they need to be successful, you know, whatever your goals are for your kids. You know, I don't see it as my job to tell parents how to parent, but I think of it more as my job to hold up, like create space and opportunity for reflection and intention setting so that they can figure out like, is what I'm doing, lining up with my ultimate goals. Cause if we want to raise, you know, kids who are going to go out there and change the world, we can't expect them to be obedient when they're kids.
0: Exactly.
1: You know, those two things don't line up. And focusing on short-term goals versus long-term goals. Yes, we, like the research shows, timeouts, punishments, those things work in the short term. They get you immediate compliance, they do. But the long-term effects of those are pretty detrimental, you know, Mm -hmm. In the long game is where I'm focused on, you know?
0: Yes, too. Yeah. Alfie Kohn always talks about what does effective actually mean? Is it going to work?
1: Does this work? How, what if it doesn't work? And I'm like, what does work mean to you? Let's
0: so talk like about In the that. moment, into <laughs> adulthood, as far as attachment goes.
1: Mm-hmm. But yeah. I think
0: that's so much too that I, we always like to bring around where I think that when we have these big conversations where we're talking about these big ideas and reshaping and reframing these conditioned mindsets that we've all grown up with in this society that we live in, I think that it can be oftentimes like we can go a little hard on ourselves and be like, oh my gosh, I mean, I thought that I was teaching my kid respect by yelling at them. I thought I was teaching them to innovate by giving them a time out. I thought that I was teaching them to calm their bodies by, you know, taking something away, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I think that it's oftentimes, wow, that's kind of a shock. I had no idea, which is so understandable. And I think something Kelsey and I talk about all the time is we didn't know, no, none of us knew this has all been culturally conditioned in us yeah. so instinctually and victims. subtly. Yeah. yeah. And that we got to give ourselves grace and know that it's oh, okay. So you know, and just start to think about these things, even if we just are noticing what we're doing, even if we're just making a small effort to think about our kids' freedom, even when we're doing what we normally do, all of it's progress, it's really important. One of our folks that we worked with said that they haven't been able to put any of our resist approach into action yet. But they have started looking at their kids' resistance and imagining them like in a boardroom, in a courtroom, standing up for something at a frat party that they believed in, like whatever the things are. And they've just started visualizing those things. And we were like, that's amazing. We all need to be visualizing that more, even if it isn't even trickling into practice yet
1: that's where it all begins, right? Oh my gosh. That's effective. Yeah. Oh, I think that it is such a powerful thing. I think it's so important to point out, out that we're not looking for perfection here. And you only know what you know until you know something different and then you can do something different. But the noticing and the awareness is always the first step to a change process. And if you just stay in awareness for a while, for a long time, like maybe that's all, like that's what you do for a little while. Maybe that's what you need and it's okay. That's still progress. I love that. Thank you for sharing those things with us. Okay. So I have one more question. So from one of my other listeners, and I I know you guys have some thoughts on this. She has a three and a half year old who has an 18 month old brother. So the three and a half year old, of course, has been through big changes in the past year, but he's really boundary testing, really resisting. And when he does, it just is so big. The resistance is so big, big feelings, hitting, biting, and it feels like relentless, like it's just constant. So that by the end of the day, she's just done because there's been, it's just been this onslaught and I've been there many times with my spirited, strong-willed kiddo, my firstborn who has invited me to grow in so many wonderful mm-hmm. ways. But what are you would you say to this parent? Do you have any resources for her with this kiddo who's small and little and has feelings that are too big for their body and they come out as hits and kicks?
0: Oh man. Yeah. First of all, good job to this parent yeah. who is mm-hmm. just, I mean, we, a lot of us have been in, in those moments. Kelty, you mm-hmm. have specifically with the highly spirited and sensitive kids, just that feeling of the wear and tear where Mm -hmm. even if you believe, wow, all feelings are okay, they're going to have feelings the rest of their life. They need me as their co-regulator to help calm their nervous system down. Based on their age, their stress is going to look really disturbing sometimes Mm -hmm. and require a lot of physical intervention, which is hard for a lot of us to do. Even with all of those beliefs, it's just really, really hard. I think our own self-regulation is something we've been working with a lot of our coaching folks on, because I think we can't control what our kids do. Everything they're doing really is developmentally appropriate and normal. And I think that for us to be able to show up for them in a way that can really support you know, their nervous systems, their self-regulation, their self-awareness, their communication, all of those things, we have to show up for ourselves first. And so, especially during a pandemic, that has been, I think, our biggest call to action. But we break all this down in our big feelings guide, which is available in our shop. I feel I'm shamelessly plugging that right Mm -hmm. now because I mean, we could just go through, there's so many beliefs that are involved in this, in this struggle that's so common. And then also just so many ways to go about it in a way that's different than the way we were raised and the way that we're culturally programmed to believe we should go about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And anything else to add on?
0: For our big feelings, we have a sibling guide. We also have an elements of respect, which I think a lot of folks are often like, okay, I believe in in honoring my kids' resistance, but what do I say? What words need to come out of my mouth? And I think we talk about that a lot with flipping that script and choosing a new mm-hmm. script with our kids during these challenges. Mm-hmm. It's hard to know exactly what to say. There's no right word or exact phrasing, mm-hmm. but the elements of respect has how many? 66, 66 phrases. phrases, I think, in a poster format, just to help kind of inspire inspire and empower that you can say other things and have that conversation with your kids in those tough But I think the big takeaway from that poster and that I would say to this mom is to just downshift into neutral. And I feel like the times that I'm the most worn and torn Mm -hmm. by my two kids is because I'm trying to do too much. I'm trying to control too much. I'm trying to stop the feelings. I'm trying to stop the behaviors. I'm focusing on how everything is looking. And I'm spongy. I'm a spongy sensitive person myself. And I'm taking it all in and Mm -hmm. I'm taking it all on. And I think that when I'm able to... One, reframe my kids' resistance and big feelings as positive, better out than in, all valuable, right? Mm -hmm. And when I'm able to think of my role, not as needing to do something, fix something, stop something, but really just to be that calm, neutral mediator, the sensitive supporter. I'm going to keep people safe. I'm going to try to keep people calm, not by saying calm down, but by (laughs) helping them calm down. And then we're going to talk about whatever happened later.
1: We're going to figure it out later. And just taking that pressure off, I think Mm -hmm. it's. I would share to this parent. Oh, I love that. And you know, we've been talking about resistance in the way that kids show up with resistance, and how how sometimes we show up for social change with resistance, and how those are good forms of resistance. But I also I feel like when I was reading this mom's post, I heard a different type of resistance—the kind of the counter to acceptance—and that type of resistance when we are saying this shouldn't be happening. She's too old to be doing this. You know, she should be able to regulate herself by now. You know, she should know that that's not okay. Okay. That hitting isn't okay. Like when we're in should, that kind of resistance, then it just keeps us stuck there. And I think, you know, like in shifting from like should to welcoming is a big shift. Yeah. I like think I love that, Laura. Yeah. Oh, I, I think what
0: you're saying is something we try to focus on too, which is just trying to accept the as is, be in the present moment and meet our kids where they are, whatever they're showing us, whatever splashy feelings, whatever challenging behaviors is focusing on acceptance of what we're seeing and being in that moment. You know, yes. I think that, you know, this is our fail forward practice in parenting is that it's just practice, you know, yeah. and a lot of that is trying to practice. Like you said, resisting the big cultural paradigms of control but accepting the little person in our lives that we're
1: seeing in front of us. That's the tricky thing. And I think questioning too. So like if we're in a place where the kids are really losing it all the time, where they are triggered all over the place, where their fight or flight system is activated and we can see it, that we're seeing their big feelings, we're seeing all of the pushback, that's a good opportunity to take a look at is the environment, are there too many demands being placed on this little one right now? And can I reduce the expectations, like really lower expectations, really mindfully lower the amount of requests I'm making of this child the amount of limits that I'm setting like how can I take all of those like really just take it down a notch like when I'm having those days with one of my kids and there's one in particular that it happens more for and we she kind of wakes up with counter will activated my husband and I like will look at each other and say that like to each other this needs to be a low demand day because there's temperament and personality differences that do make some kids have higher counter will more Mm. resistance in And the last thing I want to do is crush it out of my kids, you know.
0: Yeah. And I think that's true that a lot of us are recognizing the temperaments of our kid and what we can push and what we can't and when we could push a little more and when we probably shouldn't. And I think a lot of parents with kids' temperaments that are a little bit less challenging are starting to be challenged by their kids because of the situations mm-hmm. that we're all going through because of the stress, you know, and it's becoming like, oh, I used to be able to insist easily on toothbrushing twice a day. And now I'm having to like die on that hill to get the, my, the teeth brush. And we're still going at it every night, every night. Do I want to keep... Doing doing this. Yeah. I think that oftentimes when we feel really helpless with our kids, we automatically go to control the child. And I think that that's the paradigm that we come from is you just control other people. If you have more power, that's how you get things done is you give an incentive or you give a consequence and you do it through the person, a human to human thing. And I think that's another thing we're realizing is that, oh my gosh, we we have so much power and we can use powers beyond control rather than controlling our child, which can oftentimes make it so much worse. We can just be moderating our environment, self-regulating, you know, Regulating ourselves, like you said so brilliantly, you know, making it a low demand day, realizing that, oh my gosh, putting more demands and more control on this kid that's showing me exactly what their capacity is in this moment <laughs> is not necessarily going to get the job done. Right.
1: Yes. And I think that that leaving with that message that the powers that we use with our kids are the powers that they will learn and that they will carry with them into adulthood. And we have to really think about that, what power we want them to move out into the world with. Yeah.
0: And then remembering to at the end of the day day And in parenting, there's always tomorrow, that we always have a chance to try again, to work on all these skills. This isn't an overnight process. This is the practice. This is the progress over perfection practice that we, you know, that you speak to so much that we talk about a lot and that these are the communities we're building. So we're just, we were so grateful to be here chatting with you and to be growing up alongside you and our kids and both of our communities for sure. Yeah.
1: Yes, I love that we get to grow together as parents and this is wonderful thank you so much for yeah, being thank here with you. me such a thank nice you conversation okay so thanks for listening today um, remember to subscribe to the podcast and if it was helpful leave me a review that really helps others find the podcast and join us in this really important work of um, creating a parenthood that we don't have to escape from and creating a childhood for our kids that they don't have to recover from